think it's clear that our lives are an ongoing series of forming different relationships. To enter into a relationship in, we, in which we are a parent, I think, is to enter into one of life's greatest commitments. It is a commitment in which we are asked to care for, to protect, to guide, and to nurture the well-being of another person throughout their lives. It is a relationship in which we are equally asked to be committed to ourselves, to care for and nurture and cultivate our own well-being, our own capacity for wisdom and for love. It is a path, a path of parenting, a path of both service and surrender. And I feel that in this commitment, we learn some of the most profound lessons in our lives. Some of those lessons are painful, and some of them are very joyous. We learn about greatness of possibility in this relationship. We learn about the depths of love and forgiveness and compassion that lie in our hearts. We also learn about our own demons. It is a relationship, a parenting relationship, is one which actually makes us most naked to ourselves. And we learn about our demons. We learn about our capacities for fear, for anger, and for frustration. Within this relationship and this commitment, we learn about selflessness and about self. This is, I feel, one of the most demanding commitments in our lives. In that beginning, it removes so many choices in our lives. It is where the path of surrender actually comes in. It is a process that has its own momentum, much like the process of giving birth. Once you begin this commitment, it's actually too late to change your mind. And no matter how many doubts that arise in our relationship or our sense of being a parent, how much ambivalence or how much resistance arises within us, we cannot take always that step of avoidance. And no matter those feelings do little to alter this process and this commitment that has its own momentum. Now, this kind of purity of commitment, this depth of commitment, actually has a parallel in the Buddhist tradition. In the Buddhist tradition, much is talked about the path of the bodhisattva, the path of a person who is committed to bringing about the end of suffering, to nurturing the well-being and the happiness of all beings. The commitment of that path of care, the commitment of the path of a parent, I feel reveals to us a very profound intuition and reality. In this relationship, what we are exposed to again and again is the reality of interconnectedness. The way in which our well-being 
is woven together with the well-being of others. The way in which our happiness is woven together with the happiness of others. And that this is not only a bond between parent and child, it is a bond actually between all life, between all living beings. We are all part of the same tapestry, interdependent and interconnected. To care for another fully and wholeheartedly is to care for ourselves. To care for ourselves fully and wholeheartedly is also to care for, un- for others. We see and are faced with this interconnectedness every moment of our lives in the path of parenting. We say, see the ways in which our feelings, our mental states, our thoughts impact upon the lives and the thoughts and the feelings of another, of our children, our partners, the people around us. It is a reality, the reality of interconnectedness, that asks us so much to learn the lessons of loving, of giving, of how to be in this position of surrender in a graceful and wise way. Learning how to trust in ourselves. In the reality of interconnectedness and our interdependence, we see how much truth there is in the statement that it's so much easier to love a thousand people from the sanctuary of distance than to love just one single person in reality. There's a a letter from a child, a very brief letter from a child in a book of children's letters. It says, Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in my family, and I can never do it. This relationship we are in, this commitment we have entered into in our lives, invites us to be conscious and to be aware and to be mindful in all things. And we see what a challenge that is. And yet to undertake this path in that spirit, it is offering us such a quality of wisdom and compassion. But learning requires humility. Much of the learning that we do in our lives requires us to be humble. It is important to remember that just as no one is born a bodhisattva, but learns how to be compassionate through wisdom and through experience, so too none of us are born a parent. This isn't a job we train for. This isn't a qualification we learn in school. It's not a credential after our names. And it is a learning which is a lifelong process which endlessly challenges us. In this learning, it is so important to stay in touch with the process of change which is intrinsic to all things in our lives. And it is intrinsic in our relationships to our children. The mother or father who comforted an infant, a crying child, 
needs to know how to respond in a very different way than the parent who responds to a teenager who is in the age of rejection and sneers. We see in this relationship the way in which we cannot rest upon any prescription or formula that we have learned in the past. How we need to be so open to learning new lessons, to learn what is with us right now in this moment. We can't rest upon what worked, our strategies, that have worked in the past, our successes or our failures. This commitment to learning is in need of constant renewal. It requires us to be awake. This relationship with our children, relationship with each other, requires us to be awake. If we are not awake, we end up in that most difficult position of finding ourselves repeating our own childhood stories in relationship to our children. Many times in our lives we act as we were conditioned to act by our parents. And many times in our lives we find ourselves repeating patterns of old family and familiar dynamics in the present. So many people find themselves saying they were so horrified to hear themselves speaking to their children in the voice of their mother or in the voice of their father or using control or using fear or reactions which they know was really created heart for them in their old child in their own childhood or find themselves repeating patterns of rejection, rejection and judgment, which we know wounded us. And sometimes that is a really difficult position to be in. We see how we are, the children of our own past, and the ways in which we can carry that on, and the ways in which that conditioning calls for us to be awake, it is not that everyone had negative conditioning in their childhood. Some people had wonderful, wonderful relationships in their childhood. But it is not even enough to repeat that. We need to be awake to walk our own path and to live our own life and to find the lessons that are here for us. As sometimes when we find ourselves seemingly being lost in patterns that we don't like as parents, we become at times really wanting to reach out to formulas and prescriptions to experts to solve our problems. And we see how much, how much easier it is to actually sit on a cushion in meditation than it is to be a conscious parent. On a cushion we are protected. As parents, we also need to find our own sanctuaries of protection. But they don't lie in prescriptions or in formulas. They need to lie in our own wisdom and our own compassion. We need to be willing to grow. As much as our children are growing, this is our invitation to change, to grow, and to learn to deepen in our own sense of possibility and understanding. 
I feel this whole capacity to learn and to grow. In that, it is really necessary to appreciate our cultural and social conditioning that we carry and the way that it impacts upon us in our lives. Now, most of us have been raised in a culture which worships perfection. And at times we learn to expect perfection in all things. Perfection in performance, perfection in appearance. And as much as we see how this expectation of perfection causes sorrow and conflict in our worlds, still we find ourselves extending it to ourselves. This conditioning around perfection is expressed in standards, expectations of how we should live, how we should parent, who we should be. It is those standards we are exposed to from the moment that we are born. We are taught them, the shoulds through our teachers, our families, our media, our fairy tales. And perfection is at times equated with success and approval and acceptance. We do live in a culture where it seems there is very little room for imperfection. And when it is found, we are conditioned to try harder, to overcome it, to ignore it, or to numb ourselves to it. Too often in our world, this whole emphasis and striving for perfection has really led to us, I feel, living in a culture of blame. That imperfection is always somebody's fault. It's our fault or it's somebody else's fault. Now, many times probably we find ourselves tempted to follow this path of blame sometimes blaming ourselves. That if we don't meet up to our own standards of perfection as a parent, as a human being, somehow it's because we haven't worked hard enough or tried hard enough or we aren't good enough or we haven't done enough. And the imperfection we encounter, we believe, may be a result of that. It is a great obstacle to learning these expectations and these shoulds. It is an expectation which at times denies humility. And yet we also see that very little grows within an environment of blame or judgment, whether it is extended outwardly or extended to ourselves. This addiction to perfection can be so subtle and so often extended to our own images of who we should be. You know, we come into this path as parents as novices. You know, we begin it, we read all the books, many of the books that tell us the right way to do it. Many times we follow the formulas of somebody else. And yet still we encounter imperfection. And at times we can't understand it. You know, maybe I missed the right piece of information. Maybe I haven't tried hard enough. Or sometimes we wonder when we encounter, it seems, what we might label imperfection in our children. We find ourselves wondering, you know, I've done so much, I've given so much, I've tried so hard, I should be raising a family of Buddhas. You know, and it's not happening. 
And sadly, in those moments, too, we find ourselves engaged in blame. Now, one of the greatest wonders of parenting is its, to capa- its, is its capacity to expose to us every thought of imperfection we could ever hold about ourselves or our children. The imperfections we knew about are revealed, and there is a whole series we never thought about that are also revealed to us. And at times it is difficult to accept these revelations. You know, Joseph once said, you know, why is self-knowledge always such bad news? You know, in a way, I see parenting, the process, very much the same as what happens on a retreat. You see, you come into a retreat and how the silence and the aloneness strips away so much of our armor, so many of our images, so many of our defenses. Many of you have encountered that on a retreat. And in a way, it's difficult, but in a way, also, we welcome it because we sense that in that process we are coming to understand possibly what is actually true within ourselves and what is false. Well, the same process is at work in parenting, exactly the same. It is not the silence, it is not the aloneness, but it is a constant call to surrender, to be present, to be attentive, to have our buttons pressed, that again does exactly the same thing. It strips away our armor, our defenses, our disguises, our camouflage, and there we are, revealed to ourselves, and at times revealed to all of those around us. With all the flaws, and yet somehow we need to bring into that that same valuing, that same understanding, that in that process of stripping away, it is an invitation to look at what is most true in ourselves and to let go of what is false, to nurture what is most possible within ourselves and not just to follow the pathway of that which is easier. Avoidance is easier. Now, it is difficult. This process of revelation is difficult because we find things in ourselves that we just don't like at times. Certainly, we find that we can be a much greater and more loving person than we can ever imagine ourselves to be. But at times, we encounter other feelings of anger, of rage, of frustration, of desiring to control things, of judgment, Many of the feelings that arise don't conform to our idea of what a perfect parent should look like and feel like. And often in those times we struggle with ourselves. Sometimes we feel ashamed. People talk about feeling ashamed and guilty because they become angry with their children. At times we feel a failure. At times we judge ourselves and we compare ourselves endlessly with others. You know, and sometimes in this situation that comes up so much, you know, your child is the one who's freaking out in childcare, surrounded by all these angels. 
You know, you are the one who is angry with your child on the lawn, surrounded by all these loving, patient, gentle other parents. Well, have you never seen that on retreat? That you sit there and you open your eyes when you're in the middle of agitation and struggle, and you look around and you're surrounded by a room full of Buddhas? And you wonder, how come I'm the only schmuck here? Everyone else can do it except for me. And yet somehow in the, in the balance of a retreat or in the balance of practice, we see that that's not a total description of ourselves. Isn't this the same invitation that we are really asked to partake of out there in our relationships with our children? Sometimes we say, you know, I've done so many things wrong and really feel filled with failure. And then we resolve to be different. And we all know that in meditation. We know it in our lives as parents. Resolutions. You know, how many times you've come into a retreat or are sitting on a retreat, you know, resolved, I'm not going to get into those traps anymore until the next sitting. How many times as parents we resolve, uh uh, you know, that's the very last time I'm going to shout at my child, you know? From this point on, I am going to be a paragon, absolute epitome of patience and virtue and gentleness until the next moment that frustration arises. We need to be willing to grow through this to let go of our images, to let go of our shoulds. Parenting, there is a mutual process of growing, a mutual process of learning. We don't need to be victims of our own addiction to images and to perfection. We can actually really nurture this skill of acceptance and compassion in our lives and bring it to ourselves. To learn to give ourselves more spaciousness around judgment, more acceptance around resistance, and more forgiveness, more forgiveness around reaction. Now we are in many ways, children of our own past. We have all experienced what it feels like to be hurt, to be shamed, or to be judged. Many of you have spent many years working on healing the pains and the wounds of your own childhoods. And in that, we often resolve that we will not inflict the same pains and wounds upon our children. We want to be different. This is wonderful. It's a wonderful intention. It doesn't have to be translated into a tyrant. It doesn't have to be translated into a judge that tells us how we should be. What do we learn in meditation? We learn the wisdom of beginning again. We learn about the forgiveness and the compassion of the present moment. We learn that we can begin anew in each moment, no matter how much we've blown it, no matter how much we've wandered, no matter how much we've lost it. 
our capacity for beginning anew and our capacity for healing lies in the very next moment. We have many choices in our lives. One is to follow the path of judgment and recrimination and the other is to follow the path of learning and beginning again. Addiction to perfection is a form of self-abuse. We need to learn that lesson of being able to begin again. There's a story of, you know, the English gardener, you know, intent on creating the perfect lawn, you know, who read all the books, you know, who followed all the paths, who did everything right, you know, raked the lawn, got the perfect grass seed, sowed it, watered it, and then sat and waited for the grass to grow. And he had a beautiful lawn except for the one dandelion that grew. You know, he rushed out and dug it up and uprooted it. The next day, another dandelion grew. He did the same again, becoming more and more frantic. You know, my perfect lawn is spoiled. He rode away to the horticultural society. You know, what can I do about the dandelions in my lawn? They're spoiling it. He had the answer back. Sir, I suggest you learn to love them. This too in our lives. There is nothing that is changed through judgment and blame. There is much that is changed through forgiveness and through compassion. A commitment to parenting is not only a commitment to the well-being of our children, it is equally a commitment to our own well-being. Our children invite us to be awake, to look at ourselves in new ways, to understand ourselves more deeply. There are paths of destruction that we can follow in that invitation and paths of creation. Paths of destruction do lie in images and in judgment. Paths of creation do lie in forgiveness, in the willingness to learn and in compassion. In this commitment, of being a parent, we are really invited to weave together one of the greatest paradoxes of the spiritual life. This paradox of weaving together the factors of personal responsibility and the willingness to let go. To weave together personal responsibility and renunciation. Now, again and again, our lives teach us the lesson of letting go. Again and again, when we are in moments of conflict, of aversion, of anger, of hatred and greed, the painfulness of those moments tell us their own story. They tell us the story of holding and of clinging and the pain that follows that. And those moments of pain give us a message of the need to let go. Every experience of alienation, of separation, of division tells us of the need to cultivate letting go if we are to follow a path of healing. In Dharma teaching we hear again and again that the art of living with a liberated heart is the art of letting go. 
Our experience also tells us that much of the forgiveness and the generosity and the compassion that we experience in our lives is born of our capacity and willingness to let go. Sometimes we feel anxious about letting go. We feel it might be indifference. We might feel we might simply become resigned, removed from creativity. Equate it with passivity and have ambivalence about it. It is also true that we live in a world of great conflict, of incredible suffering and fear and terror. And we are all asked to be responsive to that. And the pain and sorrow in our world tells us of the need to take personal responsibility, to live in a way in which we consciously heal our world, where we consciously transform suffering of the need to live in an ethical way, a sacred and a noble way. To live as a conscious parent, we are also asked to weave together personal responsibility and renunciation. We are asked to be as wise as possible in our lives, but we are also asked to listen well. Personal responsibility is not contrary to letting go. To listen really well, we actually know, need to know how to be empty, how to let go of the filters of our expectations, our demands, of our judgments. To listen to a single moment really well, we need to be willing to be empty of our inner preoccupations and obsessions and dwelling. We also need to be responsible. Mother Teresa once said that we are not asked to do great things, great deeds in our lives. We are asked to do small things with great love. This is what we are asked to do in meditation. This is what we are asked to do as a parent, to cultivate the impeccability of doing small things with great love to learn to know how to be empty enough that we can receive the world, because in this way, we can change the world. Joseph Pierce once wrote, that only by changing ourselves can we change the world of a child, because we are their world. Another way of putting that, too, is to say only by caring for ourselves can we care for the world of a child, because we are their world. Only by healing ourselves can we heal the world of a child, because we are their world. This doesn't impose upon us an exaggerated responsibility to have be some kind of model of perfection it does invite us to be empty and to learn and to listen well to ourselves and to each moment so that we know how and when and how to follow that path of healing and compassion and understanding. It also requires acceptance, acceptance too of limitation 
Our children will be who they are and not who we want them to be. Our invitation is to accept who they are and think not of who we think they should be. This is the lesson we give to ourselves and the gift that we give to ourselves that allows us to change and grow in an environment of love. This is also the gift that we are able to offer our children that allows them to grow and to change in an environment of love. In meditation practice, you know, sometimes in meditation practice it is described as a particular technique, as a particular form with particular goals or striving for particular results. But in a way, if you think about what happens on a retreat and in a retreat environment, what we are actually doing in a retreat is creating an environment within ourselves and around us in which the most learning is possible. We are creating and nurturing in a retreat an environment of calmness, of spaciousness, of acceptance, of equanimity, of non-resistance and non-holding. And we have all experienced that in that environment, wisdom actually emerges. Our hearts open, our understanding deepens. In our environment of a family, the environment of our world, our relationships with our children, we are actually asked to do no more than to create exactly the same environment. Knowing that this is where we learn most deeply, trusting that this is where our children learn most deeply, creating that environment of spaciousness, of calmness, of equanimity, of acceptance, of non-resistance, of not clinging, knowing that we stumble. What do you do when you stumble in meditation? You begin again. You think of a child who is learning to walk. You know, it, it is kind of a, an intuitive process. They get up, they fall down. They get up, they fall down. They get up, they fall down. You know, if the first time they fell down, they decided, you know, that's it. You know, that, that's it, no more walking, that's it, I resign. You know, very few of us would get very far, get very far in our lives. If you ever watch a bird building a nest, you know, how it takes just a single piece of straw at a time, a single piece of grass, a single twig at a time, and often it drops them, and it goes and it gets another one. And in that process, something is being created. There is some underlying trust that is really the momentum for that process of creation. Our underlying trust needs to be in our capacity to be wise, to be compassionate, to be understanding, and to learn. Out of this, there is creation. There is a path of healing and a path of understanding. Learning how to be empty so that we can be wholeheartedly present.
This is the simple, most simple instruction in meditation, learning how to be empty so we can be wholeheartedly present. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and in harmony. If we just have one minute sitting together, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.